Welcome to church. Come on, you glad to be at church today? Give me a little bit of love and energy. I, I am so glad to be in the house of God, you know. Um, I was thinking, this is what God spoke to me this morning for you. The, uh, do you remember, if you grew up in Sunday school, there was a woman who had a long-standing issue of blood for years and years. Do you remember this? And she was like a social outcast. She had spent all that she had trying to find answers on all of the well-meaning physicians and medical staff and, and nobody could help her until one day something happens inside of her and she sees the difference maker in a crowd full of people that she shouldn't even have been in and i feel like we got some difference you know we got some people who can see a difference maker here i know i'm preaching to a lot of people at home today thank you COVID. But listen, I'm telling you, there's something that happens when you have the courage, the raw something that's like, I have to get next to wherever Jesus is. And she, she slides through the crowd that she shouldn't be in. Having tried everything else, she's like, nothing else has gotten me free from this condition that I'm in. And somebody has had a condition of heart and a condition of body that you've been in, that today is gonna be the day that you, she slides up to Jesus and she just grabs the hem of his garment and just, and it says Jesus could feel the power go out of him. I want to be that, that person. You can be the person that sits there with your arms crossed and your eyes crossed at the preacher. Or I can feel the power come into the room and come into, out of me. And there's this, he could feel the power leave him. And he said, who touched my robe? And his disciples, I love his disciples. I would qualify. His disciples are like, you're in the middle of a crowd here. Like everybody touched you, Jesus. He's like, no, 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 but somebody. Somebody touched my robe in a different way. Somebody's faith pulled the healing out of me. Have I introduced myself? I'm Pastor Corey, by the way, if you're new. Be prepared to be shocked and amazed today at church, mostly shocked. Uh, we have an NXT lunch next week. And some of y'all, you just need to go through our NXT program so that you can get uh, committed to the house of God. And the enemy's the one whispering in your ear, like, you got to be careful how much you commit to church, because God's like, church? Uh, hockey, maybe, but um, English football's a little bit different. Can I hear any man, Liverpool fans? Okay. Um, listen, there's <laughs> someone, an English football fan. Yeah, yes! I like this church. Um, there's an NXT lunch next week. We have an online thing that we just want you to go through, so you can be part of the church, join in the dream team, and quit being commitment folks. Um, you know, a funny thing happened to me this week. Sean and I used to be in the, in the same... Uh, uh, trade electrical trade and, and um, I was working on my sermon yesterday morning while y'all were eating waffles because I love Jesus more than you do and I work on my sermons even on Saturday mornings I work on my sermons and um, does he really think that he loves Jesus more than me I just told you I do because I was working on my sermon yesterday morning um, funny thing happened it's funny thing always happens when I'm trying to carve out time to work on sermons or do anything for God there's a technical issue with my life somewhere. And so the rooftop unit that feeds my office stopped working halfway through. I'm like, why is it not working? And what I did afterwards was I, I, I went and I, I had to go home and get my tools because every single time in this building after the project that I've taken all my tools home, every single time the next day I have brought them all back because something else goes wrong. And so we're just dialing this building in. It takes a little time, you know? And so I bring all my tools back and I go up and I spend like an hour and a half 
working on the rooftop and I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to me what's happening. It all works up top. Every time I jump things out, everything works 100% of the time. I'm like, it must be. So I called Josh up on the phone. I'm like, Josh, he's like, it's gotta be the cable, right? I'm like, it's gotta be the cable. So I'm like monkeying around and metering the cable out, trying to figure out where the break in the line was. Then I saw a junction up on top of my office that some of the guys at the church here did. And I'm like, 100%, my guy screwed it up. My life is just one long, like, I just need a scapegoat somewhere, and I'm good. And uh, finally, in a moment of revelation, you know, troubleshooting rooftop units is, is difficult. What makes these units particularly tricky to troubleshoot is when you're working on the wrong one. See, the problem is my office is in this bay, but the rooftop unit is this bay. And so I decided to open up this unit and I reached in and hit the reset and closed the unit up and everything worked. And you know, uh, Christ followers, you know people searching for faith. Sometimes you're praying the wrong prayer and that's why it doesn't get answered because you're just praying the wrong prayer. And there's something inside of you and inside of me that God put in there. It's like a seed from heaven that God wants your tomorrow to be better than. I don't mean more peaceful than. I just mean like to increase over today. And next year, he wants you to have more influence and make it more of a difference than you did this year. There's something inside of you that wants more. But you know what I spent all my time praying about? God, give me more. Even this week, I'm like, God, send more people to Venue Church. We have so much love and care and the Holy Spirit. The city needs us. And God's like, you're preparing this sermon all week and you're still in the habit of praying for the wrong thing. Maybe that's why he made the rooftop unit go down so that I'd be like, oh, right. It's still the wrong thing. I'm still working on the wrong. That's not the problem. There's a, there's a story. Thanks, Sean. There's a story from, uh, do, you, do you guys know what Chick-fil-A is? If you've been to the States, especially the Southern States, I mean, this is like, the southern states understand service more than Canada. When you're at, in, in a Canadian, you know, coffee shop or anything, really, they're more like, you know, we're doing you a favor by working here. Yeah. So what do you want? You know, like, I'd rather be at home. I'd rather be hanging out with my friends. You know, when you go to the southern states, they're like, oh, oh, sweetheart, what can I do for you? Do you need, do you need more of this? You want another sandwich, honey? Come on, I'll get you another sandwich. I mean, I love going down there. I get treated right. And... Uh, the Chick-fil-A, what, what happens, it's an incredible place. If you've never been there, every time I go to the States, particularly the Southern States, I have to eat a Chick-fil-A like a lot. And so every time that, that, that now Chick-fil-A had competition that moved in and this is how the story goes. I, I'm trying to, I heard it a few years ago. I'm try, I'll try to get it as close as I can to you. That they're sitting around the boardroom table because a new competition just rolled in and they're like, what are we gonna do? And everybody's panicking and thinking, okay, we've got to increase, we've got to outrun, we've got to do better than the competition. We've got to spend all this time, we've got to, and finally, the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, who's a man named Trude Cathy, he finally slams his fist down on the table and says, no, we don't have to get bigger, we have to get better. When we get better, we'll get bigger because the customers will demand that we get bigger. And I realized that's it. I don't, we can't pray that the church gets bigger. We have to pray that the church gets better. 
that your small group gets better at loving people, that we get better at serving the city, that we get more. When you get better, you get bigger. See, there's this seed inside of you that knows that tomorrow is supposed to be more influential than today. So what we pray is like, God, give me the promotion. And God's like, you would be better to pray for promotability than the promotion. Because God will always promote the promotable. But what happens is there's an issue and there's a crack in our vessel. And this is what, this is what, see, for God to bless you and to pour his blessing into your life that he wants you to have. He wants you to have more resources. He wants you to have more friends. But if he pours it past the cracks that are in the vessel, then it all just kind of bleeds out. And why would you ask for somebody, somebody told me, like, don't preach that thing in, the, in this service that you preached in the other service because I just asked. Some of y'all, instead of asking for a raise, ask for the Ready? Capacity that might deserve one. Because why would God give you $15 an hour instead of the $10 you make? Does anybody even make this amount? I don't know what. Why would God give you like $20 an hour instead of the 15 that you make? If you don't handle the 15 right, it's still going to leak. And that would make God wasteful and he's not wasteful or stupid. So there's this capacity determines promotability. Capacity. Stop asking for more. Asking that you could be somebody that could handle more. Some people, I, I talk to, to, to Christian women sometimes, and we have a high percentage of men that come here because I don't know what it is about venue that men like. It's just like, because I say stupid stuff, and they're like, I don't know what he's going to say next. But I, I hear Christian women sometimes, Christian wives, praying that they're for a better husband. I'm like, why, do, why don't you pray that you'll be a better wife that can handle a better husband? Because it's all great until your husband comes home because you're like, I want him to serve God more. I want him to lead our family spiritually. And I'm like, that's great till he comes home and he's like, your attitude is terrible today. And you're not acting like Jesus. <laughs> then we'll see. Some of y'all, you want better friends. But you're not a better friend. You want a great friend? With great friends comes great responsibility. Great friends don't put up with your garbage. Yeah, they'll just be like, oh, no, you need to smile when you're around me because, I mean, we all got problems, but we bring energy to each other. We bring belief and faith, and we pray for each other. Some of you want better uh, teenagers, but you need to pray that God makes you a better parent. We're praying about the wrong thing. See, the enemy wants to get you all concerned about, like, the national level of things. And then it's all the prime ministry, like Alberta, I get it. You know, like, I get it. We're like, well, if somebody would, or the conservative party, or the Alberta, or healthcare, or... If the enemy can get you to focus on like finning being broken, and it probably is, you can't do anything about that except complain about that. So look, your junior high class might be a nightmare to be in, but that's not, listen, the only way that God can bring, can make that better is when the individual, which is you, say me, when the individual, which is you, gets better, the whole gets better. In fact, every time the individual gets better, the whole gets a little better. And it's the only way that it happens. But the individual is asking for more. God, I pray that you would tell so-and-so to fix it. And God is like, I'm, you need to pray that you'll get better. You need to pray that you look more like Jesus tomorrow than you did today. You need to pray capacity determines promotability. Get better, you'll get bigger. The wrong, you're working on the wrong rooftop unit. I realize that. No, don't pray for more. Pray that you could handle it. Pray that God would put you. Now, here's the thing about capacity. It's the ability of the balloon to stretch and not burst. So careful when you pray the capacity prayer. 
sometimes single people, and look, not everybody's supposed to get married and not everybody does, and I don't know what your story is. Maybe you were and now you're not. And I think you're worried about like, God, send me a man. God's like, could you, are you in the place though? Sometimes when you're dating, you're just, you're dating because you're lonely. And God's like, I don't want you to be lonely because if you're lonely before you meet that somebody, you're going to be lonely after. And it's super weird to be lonely in a house full of people. He's like, you need to find the things that you're looking for in me so that you're like safe and secure and you're good. And then the other person doesn't have to do all your, fix all your crap for you all the time and make you feel good when your life is broken. He's like, fix the cracks. Well, if we're talking about capacity, we're talking about pressure. Can I, can I explain why your last month has looked the way that it has? Why there's been so much pressure there? Because God is revealing cracks. And today in Jesus' uh, sermon to his disciples, it is one of the hardest things to explain in the New Testament. Like super difficult to explain this sermon and why he's preaching it. He just goes at them about something and, and you're, you're going to like it because it'll make you feel better about your life. But in the last uh, month or who knows, year, two years, COVID fans. If your heart has been hard, it gets brittle. If your ego has risen up, it makes you smaller and the enemy wants to shrink you and shrink your life and shrink your generosity and shrink your mind and shrink your heart. But God wants it to get bigger. God, and, and God has to deal with the hardness of a heart because a hard heart is a very brittle heart and it fractures and it bleeds and it shouldn't bleed as much as if you're a son or daughter of God, come on, like tap into the father's everything because it's available to us. There's, um, there's a few things that you need to in increase, you know. Can I say this? Most of your neighborhood, you got to be different than your neighbors, by the way. Most of your neighborhood just hopes that everything goes back to normal before COVID happened. Personally, I just got to say this. I'm glad. I don't ever want it to go back to normal. Do you know why? Because I'm better than I was before. Pressure doesn't have to break you. It can make you. This church is better than it was before. Like God made some soldiers that you didn't even know that you were soldiers and you just needed boot camp and you just needed to learn how to do push-ups. You just need to learn how to get, Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, some of y'all, you get punched in the mouth more. You like it now. You wake up in the morning, you're like, I eat pain, devil, but I'm still going to work and I'm still going to pray for my boss. Even You can't do anything that's going to keep me off mission and off a of track. All right. There's a few things that need to increase in your life and not get smaller. The first thing that, that God might want to increase is your mind. Your mind has to increase. Now, we make a box and tell God what he's allowed to say to us. That's very difficult. Because you'll make a God and slam him in there, but it won't be God. God. See, the disciples had made up a version of Jesus, but it wasn't Jesus. And I find in my life, like, every day God is like, oh, yeah, no, I know that you think that you know me, but, like, you're on the, the, the tip of the iceberg of what there is, and I need to expand you. Your mind needs to increase. And, and I mean, just take a look around you. What's passing for intellect now? <laughs> you're like, I'm just worried. Like, they didn't even test kids in high school, man. Like, no diplomas. And I'm like, these are going to be the dumbest kids. I tell my kids every week, you are going to be the dumbest generation that has ever led this nation in Canada. Like, what are words? You know what I mean? Like, we can't expect kids to take, I'm just like, you know what's not a bad thing for your kids is pressure, because pressure makes fighters. You know the people who have succeeded most on this planet are not people who had it the easiest? You're always like, well, they started with more than I did, and they did. That is not true. 
some of the people have gone through hell on earth, but they made something of it. Your mind has to increase. You know what's passing for in intelligence nowadays? This whole like Canadian, we don't tolerate intolerant people. But you just said tolerate twice on both sides of the argument. So you're intolerant of intolerant people? Yes! <laughs> what are you talking about? What you mean is like I tolerate people who agree with me. But if you don't agree with me, you're intolerant. And I don't tolerate that, lady. I'm very tolerant. I don't intolerate people like you. I mean, try explaining that one to my dad. If you can't explain it, my dad's not a complicated guy. If you can't explain it to him, it doesn't work, guys. <laughs> Jesus, you know what Jesus says? Your mind has to increase. He said, I don't, you're not on this planet to tolerate people. You're here to love people. You're, love your enemies, not tolerate people. Don't tolerate your teenagers. Love them. Do what's right by them. Call them, call them to something higher. Love them. Sacrifice. Forgive. Do you know that, that sometimes God puts people in your way that hurt you? so that he could maybe have a sliver to save them one day? You ever think about this? I'm, I'm convinced that your boss asks you to do something you don't want to do, and something maybe that you, doesn't even make any sense, so that God's like, hey, just forgive, or they yell at you, or your husband, or your kid, and, and God's just like, hey, I need a foothold in their life, or your neighbor borrows your, your lawnmower and keeps it. You're like, God, man, you put me next to these wicked people, and God's like, now you have something to forgive, and I have something to move in. Now they get the Holy Spirit because you get to forgive them. And every time you forgive somebody, the Holy Spirit's like, good, now I can do something. Your mind has to get bigger than it is. Your heart has to increase. Some of y'all, I'm just like, some of y'all are like the Grinch, man. Your heart is three sizes too small. I'm like, no wonder you're hurt all the time. Look, I get hurt. I, I get all of that. But you know when, when the hurt level in my life, because look, you know what makes hurt like really hurt? It's when your heart is three sizes too small. Then it seems like a lot of hurt. But you know what's bitter? It's for your heart to like get to normal heart size and then to maybe get three sizes too big. And then all of a sudden the hurt's not that big. You know how your heart gets bigger? God increases your capacity. He puts you next to broken people who are really experiencing hurt. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my hurt's not that big anymore. Why? Because your heart just got bigger. You're not walking around with hurt feelings all the time anymore because you're just like, oh, but it's nothing compared to what that person. I can get over this. I can be healed of this. And even if I don't, I can walk with a limp, but it's nothing like some people are experiencing in the world right now. And God makes your heart anti-Grinch hearts. Like Jesus had Judas Iscariot, his betrayer, on his team for three years. You want to talk about somebody with a heart that's way too big. Why? Because he just wanted Judas to have an opportunity. You can't change somebody. You can give him an opportunity. He just wanted him to have an opportunity all this time. He's the, he keeps the treasury and he's stealing out of it. And then he betrays Jesus. And Jesus is like, it's okay. I forgive him. I just wanted him to have the opportunity to get better. Oh, man. When your heart gets big, you start looking more like Jesus. There's too much of this. I need to say this to somebody here. I didn't say it in the other service. You're like, yeah, well, I'll forgive them when they ask for it. Jesus didn't wait for you to ask for it. Now, you can't receive it until you do, but he didn't wait for you. You want him to be hanging around waiting to see if you deserve it? 
Well, they, they're not changing. That has nothing to do with forgiveness. Forgiveness is you drinking poison, not the other person. You're tired of drinking poison and hoping the other person dies? That's what comes from my dad, by the way. Oh, yeah. He'll hurt your feelings. Hey, listen, your mission has to increase. Your mission has to increase. You know what mission does? You know what church mission does? We always say, like, church can be a little about you, but not a lot. Why? Because your life is not about you. Your life can be a little about you, but not a lot. Why? Because not, it's not your purpose on this earth. Your purpose is to help people connect with God and people. And then you'll connect with God and people because that's your purpose. And we always say it like this. If your mission is bigger, you know what mission creates? Movement. Movement. You know what covers a lot of hurt feelings? Movement. When we as a church get you addicted to your neighbor's life getting transformed miraculously by the power of the living God. Then you're like, now I can put up with more garbage from them because God is doing something miraculous there and save my brother who never should. You know, there's always that person in your life where you're like, pastor, they're never coming to church. I'm like, Paul, the apostle. Oh, there's, I I think Jesus is like challenge accepted. Then he's going to put them next to you and they're going to hurt you. And then you're going to have to forgive them. And then God will get into them. And then one day they'll be like, their life will fall apart. And you'll be in there in that weak period of time in their lives when they could change everything. And, And they show up at church and you find out that they've been watching the podcast online. You're like, with the Bible and everything? (laughs) <laughs> you know that okay I can say more the precursor are you ready the precursor I gotta say this though you know what else I want, I want you to get addicted to kingdom results in the church mostly for you but also a little bit so that I don't have to deal with church people problems because <laughs> those go real small when the mission is bright we care about reaching lost people for Jesus I love you that's why I say things like that I love you. That's why I hurt you. The precursor to growth. Are you ready? When God has you in a, he's going to start a, a growth tract in your life. The precursor to growth in capacity is something unusual. Something you'll disagree with when I tell you because I did and I do. It's something that will disagree with your theology, what you think about God. One time God put this, he had me on a growth curve to increase my capacity and it took me three or four months to stop complaining that God doesn't do that because it doesn't agree with my theology and God's like I am theology what you think about me and how what you think I'm allowed to do he's like I'm God you're not God let's fix your theology the God that you make is a Franken Jesus and it can't save you it just agrees with you this precursor still surprises me, and I'm a patterns person. I don't like, I don't, I hate losing, and I hate losing again in the same thing. But I'll tell you, every time it happens to me, it still shocks me and surprises me and hurts me. He starts a gross season by taking something you think you know and messing up your day with it. And showing you like, no, that's just the edge of it. But you have to unlearn what you think that you know to learn more about it. Like, yeah, it builds on it, but it has to build. See, every time that God teaches you a principle, you build a fortress around there so that you can feel comfortable. And God's like, no, I actually got to tear the fortress down because there's much more that you need to experience about it to look more like Jesus. And you can't look like Jesus when you have a fortress built around you that God's not allowed to deal with you about certain things. It's, co- it's preventing you from growing. Your life's not supposed to be like a concrete for- fortress. It's supposed to be like a tree that gets pruned. And grows and bears much fruit. Some of you have this beautiful tree and they're like, look at all these flowers. God's like, nobody cares about flowers. Bear fruit so that you can feed your neighbors. Like it's fruit. He's looking for fruit on the tree. 
Now, Jesus following at this time had become very large. He was becoming influential. His disciples, everyone's like, yes, we finally get this. We're, it's increasing. It looks like it's growing. It looks like it's growing. Until Jesus verbally pulls the rug out from under them in this text. And I'll bet you this has happened to you in the last month. How we respond determines whether we grow or do what a large part of his following does here and walks away from their destiny. The precursor to increased capacity, are you ready? Is that God offends you. God will say something through somebody that pulls the rug out from under your feet. He will do something, something, some situation will happen that it will offend you and your sensibilities and what you thought and what you know. He has to offend you to increase your capacity. He has to offend you by adding pressure so that he can show you where the cracks are so that you can handle more pressure and actually grow with it instead of just bleeding it out. Where does this offense take place? At home? At your team at church? A lot of it happens at church and it happens through people. In the classroom, everyday life, at work, John chapter 6, they replied, his disciples, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, it's not really about what you do. You're concentrating on what you do, not who you are. I'm a project person. That's easy for me. He's like, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. You can, you can have faulty beliefs. And you, you should be working on your belief, not on your, your doing. Because that can kind of cover that sometimes. You know, people in the church, you know, something happens to them. Their whole lives fall apart. And I'm like, where were you the entire time that you were at church? You were just doing stuff? And so he's like, no, believe in the one he has sent. He's like, believe in me. He's like, you believe in a version of me right now, but uh, we need to change the version to something that's actually accurate. Capacity focuses on who you are, not what you do. After all, um, they, they answered, I should say, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. They're like, okay, so prove it to us. Don't we do this to God? And then they say, what can you do? Jesus is like, you have to believe in me. And they're like, okay, so this is our current path to belief. Show us something. What can you do? They're like, hey, when you fed the 5,000, like, we like that. We're hungry. You know, the crowd full of men. Like, we're hungry. That's all we can think about right now. Like, so if you do that again, then we'll believe you. Um, after all, they said our ancestors ate manna. Uh, have, have you, do you know what manna is? Bread that fell from heaven on the Israelite camp in the wilderness for 40 years and fed them. It just fell on the ground and they gathered it up and made these little bread cakes out of it. They said our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave bread from heaven to eat. What they're saying is like, Jesus, make us hamburgers. Like, do that, sing and dance and do that thing that we like. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not really a puppet here to give you hamburgers. Even though I feel like Jesus would be into hamburgers. I'm into hamburgers. He's like, I, I don't do things because you blackmail me. Like, hey, if you don't do this, we're not going to believe in you. Isn't that really a good approach to take with the son of the living God? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. He's like, y'all are so, he's like, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. Now he's actually going after a religious group right now because it says in the scriptures, Moses gave you bread from heaven. But he's like, no, 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 not the way you're thinking about it. He's like, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. He didn't stay up till three in the morning with two million bread bowls, mixing ingredients and then pouring it out over the camp of Israel so that everybody could, he's like, Moses can't do that. Yeah, I gave it to you through Moses, but he said, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. He's like, which is me? It's me. 
It's not what you believe. It's not believing the right thing. It's being connected to Jesus. It's having a hold of his garment, being that close. That's what saves us. That's what adopts us. The true bread of God is the one who comes down and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us that bread. Ooh. He's like, this version of Jesus that you just get to say, like, give us, show us. He's like, no, man, you're supposed to ask for bread. You don't. I have somebody, uh, somebody in the church, somebody hacked their Instagram account, and then they started uh, Instagram messaging me, and they're like, Pastor, I need help. What's your phone number? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, what's your phone number? <laughs> I'm like, I'd love to help. You know, I'd always love to help. I'm like, well, what's your phone number? You know, like, you always give your phone number to one psycho every year. <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I kind of tried to guard that a little bit. I'm like, no, I'd love to help. What's your phone number? And then it's like, well, you're going to help or not. This person started getting snootier and snootier. I'm like, dude, you're coming to me. And now you're going to be like, are you going to help me or not? I'm like, maybe you don't know how it works around here, but it turns out somebody had hacked her account and was just trying to get my phone number. I didn't do it. I didn't fall for it. Thank you, Jesus. All right. It's, it's that demanding of God. You don't demand things of God. And it says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. That's why you're hungry is because you want Jesus to keep coming to you. Now, he'll do that when you're a baby. But after you've been through it a little, you've got to start making some decisions. You want to you wanna know more of God? Well, Jesus is like, I'm right here. You want to get to me? Come through the crowd. Push through the crowd. Push through public opinion and all the things that they said you're not supposed to do if you want your healing. But you've got to come this way because that's how salvation works. He says, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's like, quit trying to get me to believe in you. I already understand you. That's the problem. He's like, you have to believe in me. That's your job. I can't do that for you. Verse uh, 41, then the people began to murmur in disagreement. Oh, we're so good at this, Canadian. I tell American pastors when they come here to plant churches, I'm like, oh, you won't even know what the problems are for the first six months or a year. And then they'll leave your church and then you'll hear about it. Murmur, murmur. I can't, can you believe you just said that? I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> they began to murmur because he said, I'm the bread from heaven. Verse 43, Jesus replied, stop muttering in a low tone about what I said. And then he goes into this hugely cannibalistic sermon that's the hardest one to explain for me in the New Testament anyways, about uh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Um, he's intentionally teaching them something that's going to trip them up right now. And I have no place in my mind to put this. And he, Jesus says in verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. What? He wants us to eat him? What? He's saying the cross is so offensive, you have to actually get a little blood on you to get the power. You have to partake of the cross which is offensive to your sensibilities to get the power. You have to actually go down and do the thing that you don't want to do for your neighbor to get saved. You got to do the stuff. You got to like partake in the suffering of Christ if you want the resurrection. He's like, it's not going to be nothing. I'm going to offend. I'm going to, he's just going at them. And then many of his disciples, verse 60, you got to read the whole thing because he just keeps going on and on and on. I'm like, oh, don't you want to keep these guys? Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And I think Jesus said, finally, we're finally there. We're finally, they're saying, we can't accept what we don't understand. 
That's where somebody's faith is here right now. I can't accept what I don't understand. And Jesus said, if you only accept what you understand, then your flesh is on the throne. And if you want to get saved, there's no throne here for that. There's only one Lord and Savior of all, and it's not me. It's not my brain, and it's not my heart, and it's not anything but what God and Jesus and who he is and what he can do. He says, he's aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said, does this offend you? You know, when you say to your kid, like, are you mad? And they're obviously mad. Just push them a little bit, just as they need to, like, hey, this is the issue. Does this offend you? That word translated mean, like, did I just put a rock and you stub your toe on it? Did you enjoy that? It can be translated, are you, um, did I make you question my authority? Did I make you question me and my goodness? Am I tripping you up? Am I, hurt? Am I annoying you? Am I under your skin yet? Does this displease you? Then he says, what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? He's like, guys, there is no box big enough to put me in. We are not roughly on the same level. If you want salvation, I'm the only one who can give it to you, and I'm the only one who can do it. you got to come to me. you got to believe that I'm good because I said I'm good and I've never lied. What do I have to do to prove it to you? Sing and dance? You still wouldn't believe because there's something that's hard about your heart. He's like, he can't change you until he offends you. It's easy when it happens to somebody else, but when it happens to me, I just feel sorry for myself just like everybody else does. I'm like, oh God, why are you nicer to me? He's like, I'm trying to save you, man. I'm trying to keep your marriage from falling on the hard times. We've been there. Jesus says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort, ready, accomplishes nothing. Listen, if you've figured out how to change a heart, come and talk to me because I would love to hear it. Because when I counsel people, most of it is just heart issues. I'm like, I would love, if you, if you know the secret to changing somebody's heart, if you think that you can actually, here's the deal, if you even know how to change your own heart, like, let me know about it. Like, speak up and say something. But you don't, because changing hearts, that's what God does. He said, the very words I've spoken are spirit and life. At this point, ready? Many of, of his disciples turned away and deserted him. You think about that. He's gathering all these crowds. If you're new to church here, the worship team is coming up. Not because it's like a combined mutiny. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Like, are they, did he offend them? They, he, they're just going to come and take over? Right? If you haven't been to church before. We just do a song now. <laughs> thought that was kind of funny. Pastors, kids, man. We all got all sorts of stuff going on in our heads. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I wonder what you're going to do with the sermon today with the word of God. And Jesus watches them walk away. You know why? Because if they come back, having wrestled with the real question, whether they were going to have a throne to sit on or not, if they can wrestle with that, when they come back, it'll be real this time. I see a lot of people in churches, I think some people need to get re-saved, like, but really saved. Because you're like, okay, I'll come to Jesus if he'll make me happy. And Jesus is like, I'm trying to save you. Like, Sometimes you'll be happy, but in this world you'll have trouble because it's a bit of a mess because you gave it to the devil and he broke it. <laughs> um, Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? 
he turns to his 12 guys he's been doing life with, and he's like, what, what are you guys going to do? Just willing to accept whatever their decision is. You guys going to go too, or then Simon Peter? He finally gets something right. He only normally pulls uh, one foot out of his mouth to get the other one in there. But he got this right. You know what he says? This is where you need to land today. He says, put it up for me. Lord, uh, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words to give eternal life. Every other path that they're going to walk down when they walk out of this room without the real version of Jesus is going to lead to the enemy. He's like, we've been down that path and we're not going back. Where else would we go? You can say whatever you want to say, Jesus. You can do whatever you want to do. You can hurt my feelings. You can put your foot on my neck. I don't care because you're the only one for me. Where else, to whom should we go? I know where all the other paths go. I want to be close enough to get a grip on you and not let go. When this whole COVID thing started, Pastor Aaron and I went to, uh, to the mountains. And I remember the fear that was gripping the nation at the time. And as a church leader, you know, well, what are we going to do? I remember the fear and the uncertainty, like everything is changing. We went back to those same mountains. And I had like a moment where I'm looking at the mountains and I'm like, you know, they're still here. And not a thing has changed about them. And as unshakable as the mountains are, you know, I realized my faith is not in what happens out there or sickness or disease or it's time, Canada, that we rise up and start serving the God that made the mountains his footstool. And I'm like, there's no sickness and infirmity and fear that can take a nation out if that nation decides to follow God. And there's, there's got to be a, a, a people that will rise up and be like, we don't care what everyone else is saying and what everyone else is afraid of because we serve the God of the mountains, the God who made the lands and the sea and sent his, the Savior we serve that one. Our proximity to him makes us unafraid. And when your neighbors see that you're unafraid, listen, if I get sick and die, I get sick and die. I have made my peace with God, have a Christian burial for me and make sure somebody gets saved there. But I'm not afraid. And I grew up sick and I grew up unable to breathe and I get it. But I still serve the God of the mountains. Our trust venue is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth.